0: Hey Harley. You want you wanna wanna a treat? Want a little treat? Because you're a good boy. Oh, you're such a good boy. Yes, he is. Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror films, a podcast where not only do we eat the rich, we also date their daughter, kill the housekeeper, and ruin birthday parties. We are talking about one of my favorite movies of the past decade in this episode. Uh, Definitely my favorite movie of last year, the Oscars Best Picture winner. It is Parasite, directed by, you know, aptly named for discussion on this podcast, Mr. Bong Joon Ho. So, in his honor, we are going to go ahead and light up, baby. Yes, yes, yes. We are on the way, guys. One note right off the bat, I do have a shortened theme song. Um, like it's like half the half the length of that one. It's just like a little more condensed version of it. Um, I mean it's great. Uh, shout out to Dre from Ukraine, my uncle, my homie. Um, he he was wonderful and he made a full intro theme and then he condensed it for me in case I needed a shorter one, which I'll probably use. For like guest episodes maybe. Or unless you guys really just don't like a minute of intro music. Then you know I'll consider it. But I like doing the full intro. The full minute. Especially you know by myself. This is a solo show. I'm producing this show as I'm recording it by myself. And um, the full minute you know gives me a minute. To make sure I can double check all the audio things. I can make sure I have all my stuff. My water that Harley is chilling. I got my snacks, and that way I can light up as well. I can go ahead and light up the joint, blunt, bong, whatever I'm smoking today. Um, So, yeah, so that's my thoughts on the intro music. But let me know your guys' thoughts, you know. Uh, This is the beginning of the podcast. We're three episodes in. Welcome to episode number three. And, you know, we're still figuring stuff out. We're still perfecting. But, um, you know, I just need the feedback. So let me know. But I'm very excited for this episode. Oh, man. So. As we talk about smoking, as I talk about, you know, I was lighting up my joint that just went out. That might light up again. Yeah. So, uh, so we're three episodes in. And I feel like um, in the first two episodes, I didn't do too good of a job of incorporating on why cannabis is important to, um, to me and why it matters in this podcast. I mean, obviously, other than, like, a gimmick, because let's be real, if you're a creator, you know that, you know, if you're in a niche audience, you kind of need something to lean into, and uh, the horror community is already a niche audience, but there's plenty of horror podcasts, you gotta make it, you know, something a little different, so behind the curtain already, obviously, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm the, I'm the high horror guy, but it's not, it's not just that, though, because it, it really isn't just a gimmick, um, weed plays a very important part in my life it really does it's a it's a daily part of my life and not just from a recreational standpoint it's a you know it's a self medicating um i didn't really have like anxiety or like didn't get like stressed out up until a few years ago i mean i guess that happens when you get older and you you get bills and real life problems to deal with and shit like that so i mean i get it um, that, that is going to lead to more anxiety and, uh, things like that. And it was, or, or, I mean, I guess I did have anxiety, but it was something I could manage pretty easily and what, wh- how I'm able to manage that on a daily basis. And as it's gotten worse over the past couple of years, my anxiety, um, weed has been such a big part of that. I mean, I've, um, I've been a smoker for a while, a little stoner backstory here, um, I didn't start smoking weed until I guess I mean a little bit later in life. It can compared to a lot of other people that I know, um, I didn't start I didn't start smoking weed until I was nineteen, I believe. It was my it was my sophomore year of college, or rather, right after I dropped out of college. Um, so yeah, I mean, interesting enough, I went my entire high school without smoking weed, which was fucking stupid. I was such a good kid in high school and for what? I got no I got like no lasting experiences out of it. Like, oh man, school would have been so much more fun if I was smoking weed. Yeah, you know, I mean not to brag about myself or anything, but like I was a gifted student and fucking high school was easy and I got bored, you know? And in high school I just filled my time with more words and being loud and obnoxious and being an overall kind of dickhead sometimes. But, you know, just imagine if high school me would have found weed, what I'd be like now. But that's okay. That's the past. This is the now. Um, but, yeah, I didn't start smoking weed till I was 19. I had just dropped out of college. And I moved in with uh, some people I did not know. Um, and I only lived in this house for a month and a half because this house proceeded to catch fire. That's a story for later. Or if you know me, you kind of know that story already. Um, but I only lived in this house for a month and a half. But it was... Great for a lot of reasons. Um, One, it was I was living with four, four, five queer people. Um, I was living with a gay, two gay couples and a lesbian, who also her girlfriend ended up like kind of being over a lot. So I was, so I was with five, five queer people, and this was before I realized. Like, I mean, I guess I always knew I was queer to some degree, just didn't know what. And so this was great. It was a it was a great environment. But not only that, you know, because Happy Pride Month. It is June. Happy Pride Month. Um, We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll talk about Pride Month stuff a little bit more at the end of the episode. When I talk about uh, later episodes. But Happy Pride Month, everybody. Uh, Pride Month in horror is huge. You know, I think horror is one of the more represented genres in film. But it's it's still got a long way to go. Just as, um, just as the world does. So Happy Pride Month. But anyways. This was my first time living with queer people and really getting exposed into queer culture a little bit. I mean, not that I was sheltered or didn't know about it or anything like that, like growing up. It was just, it was, it was cool. It was really cool. It was a cool energy to be around. And, uh, in this month and a half, I had a lot of fun in this house because not only that, they are the ones that introduced me to weed, to marijuana, um, it, we would just be kind of sitting around, and I had just dropped out of college, had a lot of free time on my hand. I was kind of depressed, didn't know what to do with my time. And I was just kind of hanging out a lot and, um, you know, hanging with them. And then they just kind of eased me into it. They, you know, nobody pressured me or anything. Um, and then I just started smoking weed with them. Uh, one of them sold weed as well. One of my roommates, uh, she sold weed. So, you know, it was just kind of one of those things and they were, you know, surprised, but they were like, hey, this is as good of a time as any to start smoking weed. And I couldn't agree more. So I started smoking weed. It's funny. I remember specifically that year was also the year that Colorado and Washington legalized marijuana. Um, I believe that would make it 2013. Yeah, 2013 or either late 2013 or early 2014. Maybe I should look this up, but I do remember that the Super Bowl that year was between the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. How, I mean, imagine that. It was literally the year that both those states, the only two states in the country got legalized, just happened to be the two teams playing in the Super Bowl. How the fuck did that happen? That's some Illuminati shit. I don't know, but... That's how I remember. So um, it was like, you know, we fucking were just high as fuck. Like, they were like, hey, Super Bowl, we got to smoke Super Bowls. And that is what we did. Like, I mean, we were smoking from everything from a three-foot bong to a giant Gandalf pipe. I mean, we had edibles, of course. We had uh, some, like, Rice Krispie treats, I remember. It was just a it was a really good time. I only lived in this house for a little bit, but it was a very... Informative uh, month and a half of my life for sure because of a lot of the things that happened. Because, like I said, that house would eventually catch fire, sending me into further depression and, um, like, you know, badness. Sorry, eating a strawberry. But, um, but yeah, so I started a little bit late. Fast forward to now, and I mean, I smoke way more than I drink I don't even really like drinking all that much anymore I mean I am a bartender and I mean and I can still hold my liquor um but I I enjoy smoking uh, more than anything I always have like I've been able to go without drinking completely and just relied solely on smoking because it, it's just it was always calming it was relaxing I like the way that I feel when I'm high um, I think that I'm generally more productive whenever I smoke weed. That's just me personally. Now, weed affects everybody in different ways. Everybody's high is different. You know, some people get more anxious when they smoke weed, and that's why they don't smoke weed. Totally get it. It affects everybody differently. Some people only eat edibles because they like the body high because it doesn't give them anxiety, but they like the body high or edibles are great for people with chronic pain. If you have some sort of chronic body pain, that's what edibles are great for. So some people don't smoke at all, but they love edibles. You know, to each their own. I consume any and everything weed, weed related. Um, I mean, I may, I like to make edibles. I like to eat edibles. Um, obviously, I love to smoke, so I consume it in all different fashions. And I am a I am a waking baker. As soon as I wake up in the morning, because it's just a you know, it, it, I ease into everything. So the way that I'll describe my anxiety to people is that my brain, I think I do have like undiagnosed ADD, not ADHD. Cause I mean, I've never, I was never like a hyper kid or anything or have like excess energy or anything, but ADD in the sense that I sometimes have trouble focusing if I can't get my, like, I feel like my my thoughts move too fast, like, I feel like I'm having too many thoughts too fast, and I can't, like, really focus in on what it is, or, like, kind of, or connect them, you know, I can't connect those thoughts and ideas, and so weed kind of slows that down for me, and it, and I don't know if that makes it, like, me advocating that on the side of people that think that weed like kills brain cells because it's not it's because it's not doing that it's just helping helping focus my attention and uh, my thoughts can slow down and I can register them I can like I said like form these connections maybe form connections that other people can't form because I'm thinking outside the box or above the box rather because I'm so damn high who knows But, but yeah, so that's, that's how my anxiety hits me. So, I mean, I'm a, I smoke just consistently throughout the day. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm more creatively productive whenever I'm high. I just feel, um, I'm a little bit more loose. And like I said, I can let my thoughts drift into different places and, you know, get inspired in different ways. Um, I mean, I watch movies completely differently, I guess. Like, I don't know, like, I won't say that watching movies sober is boring, but I don't know. It's just like whenever I'm, especially like when it's just me, like, you know, because if I'm watching it with somebody, attention's already be diverted one way or the other. But, I mean, especially when it's just me, there's nothing I love than just fucking, I fucking pack a bowl or I roll a blunt before I start the movie. I get whatever I'm like drinking on at the time or, you know, I get I get my snacks because I'm a, I'm a big snacker. I love my sweets, um, cookies, fucking cheesecake, candy, I love it all, so it's like, I love fucking getting all that together, and I mean, that's just the way I watch movies, um, you know, and like, for some people, weed gives people, like, a radically different experience of, of watching the movie. Like, some people are like, yo, I mean, I've watched fucking Black Swan, but have you watched Black Swan after two edibles? It's like, you know, some people have these, like, vastly different experience with it. Uh, I don't know if I'm one of those people, but, I mean, I think that since whenever I watch movies, I like analyzing and picking and, like, kind of making, forming connections and, Uh, I'm a very detail-oriented person, I love looking for the little details in things, and what they mean, um, and so I, I don't know, sometimes when I'm high, I might notice something in a movie that I might not notice, especially in a movie such like Parasite, where there's a lot of visual storytelling and visual cues to things, and, um, you know, and maybe I notice some of those things a little bit more. Sometimes it makes the score sound a little bit cooler. If I'm fucking, if I'm watching It Follows and I fucking turn my subwoofer on and get high as hell, that score is going to hit a little bit differently. And, and that's why it's awesome. So, you know, to, to circle back to where I was getting at is, you know, weed has a lot of benefits, um, whether it be helping anxiety, whether it be helping pain. Or whether it's just to have a good time, to make experiencing things better. I mean, hell, whenever I work, I have to be stoned while I'm working. Sometimes I'm a bartender, and like, you know, dealing with people when I'm not high is, ooh, like that's a lot. Like that's a lot happening, and like and my bosses, like even know that they're just like, eh, it's Devon. He's he's doing his thing, and as long as he does his thing, it's all good, you know, because they don't have that stigma against me, or that stigma against marijuana. That it shouldn't have because you know it affects everybody differently and some people are still very very productive high and I happen to be one of those people so you know um, whatever your daily cannabis routine is or if you're not a smoker and you have your reasons for not smoking that's totally chill like and I still want you to listen to this podcast. But um, I, I do want cannabis culture to be a, be a more important part of this podcast. So I wanted to make sure I touched on that before we got into the movie stuff. Man, I think this might be a long episode just because... Okay, actually, looking at how long that was. That wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. Because I do have a lot of movies or a lot of parasite fucking shit to talk about. Like, I, I do have quite a bit. I'm really excited. I mean, for real, guys. I love this movie so much. Like, I haven't loved a movie this passionately in a long time. Well, I mean, I'd say maybe in a few years, maybe since. Like, and when I say, like, love it this passionately, like, right out the gate, too. Like, I guess, mm, Call Me By Your Name would be the last movie that I was instantly just... Sorry, that was a big burp. I don't know if you guys will hear it or not. I tried to save you. Maybe I did. But, Call Me By Your Name is one of the first that I just, like like I said, like out the gate, like that was probably the last movie I just like really fell in love with, the way that I fell in love with Parasite. It just, it it was, I mean, the closest I could think to Flawless at the time, because as upon rewatches, I found a few little nitpicky things that I don't like. But I mean, this movie is so good. It's fucking cinema, baby. I sound like a... Douche when you say cinema. I don't know. I feel like a. I feel like I do personally. I know in like the U.K. that's what they call movie theaters. They call it the cinema, and I wish we did that here in America. I wish we called it the cinema. But considering, who knows what's gonna happen to movie theaters in the next couple of months? It might not matter anyways. But man, this movie like it just when I watch it, it just makes it made me happy. Just why... I saw things happening, it made me happy, you know, like filmmaking techniques and shit and the way that it was written and the way that I was just so engrossed with it. And, and then watching it again and like being excited to watch it again. Like, that's how you know a movie is good. Like, cause again, I know a lot of people don't rewatch movies to the degree that I do. Like I watch, I rewatch a lot of movies and I watch movies that I love quite often. So, but, like, I know on top of that, it's just, like, when you're excited to watch a movie again, it's so fucking good. It just makes me want to... Ah! <sighs> I love this movie, guys. But before um, we get deeper into the movie and really dig at it, just a couple more things I want um, address real quick is, so like I said, Bloody Blunt Cinema Club is now on Tuesdays. Um, uh, the audio at least will be up on Tuesdays, not Wednesdays. The first episode I said Wednesdays, I've changed it to Tuesday now. So this will, this should be the first Tuesday release. Cause I released two on, um, Wednesday last week. So this'll be, um, the first Tuesday release and going forward, it'll always be on Tuesday. At least the audio and I keep talking about video and because I want that this will be a video podcast as well. These first three episodes will not have video to them. I've had some filming and importing and editing issues that have been a pain in my ass. They're tearing my laptop up. It's just it's been a mess trying to get the video for these uh, for the first two episodes just because of the way that I did it. And it just didn't work out. The second episode, I mean, I do have the video. I mean, I could upload it, and I, I might, but it might fucking the file is so large, it just is gonna take forever. And like I said, it's like fucking taking a toll on my laptop just the way that it all worked out. And I like cannot get the fucking file size down without like tanking the quality and shit. Um, it's you know, I'm not a I'm not a professional editor or anything or a professional producer. I'm just doing the best I can out here, but, so, I think what I'm going to do is, I'm going to, sorry, strawberries again, you can't see this, strawberries, um, but I think what I'm going to do is, I'm going to pull clips from episode two, because there's a couple good clips and little, like, uh, little rants I went on that I like. So I think I would just pull some clips from that one, so there will be some video footage of that as I'm working on some like video intro shit right now. So, but hopefully this week I'll have some video clips of from episode two. But the whole episode will not go up. Um, and I'm not recording video at all for this episode, unfortunately. I really wish I was, cause I just love this movie so much. Um, but no, no video for this one either. Um, but next week or next yeah next week there will be video i have a new camera that just came in the mail um but it's at my apartment not where i'm recording right now so um i don't have the camera but it did come in the mail today so i got a new camera it's gonna help um the whole process and everything and i got shit figured out it's gonna be all good so next and and it's perfect too because the video will kick off the first franchise that we're covering on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. So, I think that'll be a good first episode for video. So, no epi- or no video for these first three episodes, except for some clips from episode two. But, um, and you guys want to go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. So, that way next week, you can see the podcast in video form if you like. And there will also be other videos coming to the YouTube channel. Um, I want to... Focus on getting this podcast rolling, and really getting it going before, before I um, really start doing the video stuff and like doing like separate videos and things like that. So now that we're rolling and I'm gonna have all the things that I need, video shit is coming, video content. So make sure you go to YouTube, YouTube channel Bloody Blunts, go search it, and subscribe. It's gonna be good shit. Now, guys, it is. Fucking finally time to really start talking about Parasite. Let's do this shit. Thank you, Willem Dafoe. Let's get into this fucking movie, guys. Okay, 20 minutes before we actually got to, to movie shit. Not too bad. Might be a little bit of a longer episode. All good. We're keeping it under 90 minutes, okay? That I will promise. We're keeping shit under 90 minutes. That first episode, that was a fluke it happened. We're keeping things under 90 minutes. So let's see where we go. Why am I covering Parasite on this podcast? Because I know some people are under the impression that Parasite is not a horror film. And I mean, you're not wrong, but you're not right either. So um, I got into it on in the last episode. I'm going to probably get into it many, many times in the future of this show. Because it's something that I find interesting, um, that I'm passionate about. I mean, I guess I'm a genre police, but, like, in the opposite way that everyone else is. Because I really, like, I really hate people that, like, when there's a good genre movie, a good horror, and that fits into the horror category, that people want to praise it, but then say, oh, no, it's not a horror movie. No, 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 because no, 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 we can't give credit to a good horror movie, um, there can't be prestige horror movies anymore, no, 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 horror movies are, are a less than genre, ooh, are we getting political here, (laughs) but no, I'm like the opposite though, I'm like, I mean, I'm a genre police, but in the opposite end, like, I'm one of the people that want, that I'm always like, no, 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 that counts as a horror movie. Like, no, totally. This this counts as a horror movie or 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 I'll say we're claiming it is something I'll say a lot about. Like, no, we we we're claiming that that's a that's ours now. You know, with movies such as um, another previous Oscar winner from 2017, The Shape of Water. Shape of Water, we were all happy because Guillermo del Toro is a horror genre director that is what he does and he considers Shape of Water a horror movie. A lot of people were like, is Shape of Horror or Shape of Horror is Shape of Water an actual horror movie or is it more of just a romance? Is it more of a drama? But look, one it's a creature feature. Okay? Creature features are automatically in the horror category. Like it's a fucking it's a monster movie, okay? I saw someone um on in a YouTube video talking about Godzilla king of monsters and they like um like question themselves calling it a horror movie and they're like they're like I mean yes it, it is a horror m- maybe not a horror movie but it is a horror m- no 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 since when the fuck are monster movies not horror movies anymore like so um when shape of horror <laughs> shape of horror why did- damn it I mean they don't even rhyme that closely <laughs> when when shape of water won the Oscar for best picture um a lot of people the horror community was ecstatic we, we were we were fucking pumped because Mel de Toro like undisputedly is one of ours so we're like fuck yeah fuck yeah fuck yeah and, I mean I guess the same can be said for Bong Joon-ho as far as his filmography goes as well maybe but it was like that first time that you know it, when people really started genre police on like especially with these, you know, more high art horror or oh, I hate when people say elevated horror. I don't like elevated horror cuz that's that's stupid. High art horror is a different thing or just indie horror in general as indie horror started getting a, uh, you know, more exposure and started getting better and people were getting more into it. There's like still people that like certain movies but don't want to admit that it's a horror movie like cuz they don't like horror movies, but they like thrillers though. They don't like horror movies, but they like the thrillers. It sounds stupid because thrillers are horror movies. I butchered this analogy in the last episode, I butchered it on Twitter a second time too. But okay, thrillers are horror movies in my opinion. And it's like I said, and I think it's the go-to genre that people go to when they want to admit that Something is good, but that it's not a horror movie for some reason. Uh, I gave Aaron Dicer, the host of Sif Pop podcast, quick shout out to them because I was on their episode. Um, I guess this week it's dropping. Um, we've recorded a few days ago. Had a lot of fun. Make sure you guys check out the Sif Pop podcast. It's a very great show. I've been on there a few times, and I was giving Aaron a little bit of shit because he was talking about Get Out he like caught himself like he gave he put air quotes around horror movie for get out and he was like i mean i go and get out was another one that because you know it was a movie that people were really liking it was getting some um oscar nominations and it was a movie that a lot of people love that people were saying oh man i don't i don't like horror movies but i loved get out and i mean get out is a horror movie It's a, I mean, maybe a psychological horror or a psychological thriller, but it's also got body horror elements. I mean, the movie fucking ends with, you know, people switching brains and shit, and he kills them all at the end. That's a horror movie. That's horrifying, in my opinion. Yes, Get Out is also very funny. In the same vein that Scream is, because I wouldn't even say Get Out is a horror comedy, I think it's it's a psychological thriller, I guess. But it's still a horror movie, and but it but I wouldn't say it's a horror comedy. It's not trying to merge the two. Um, it's just a horror movie that is also very funny, like kind of similar in the same vein as Scream. And so when it comes to Parasite, it, it was also another interesting case of a lot of people asking what genre is this movie, because it's uh, especially like when you're telling somebody to watch Parasite they ask, "Oh, what what kind of movie is it?" Uh, you know, because by the title a lot of people think it's going to be like a sci-fi horror movie, like it has like some sort of alien parasite, of course. Um, which we'll talk about the title here in a sec. And so, and it's like, "Well, is it a horror movie?" I mean, yes. Spoiler alert because all Blay Blunt Cinema Club episodes include spoilers. People die at the end. There's um some very thr- the the third act of this movie goes into I mean not slasher territory but it goes into a very violent climax and people die and people get manipulated and people's families and lives are changed forever by the results of events of this movie that I would consider horrifying um to me like for me like I said it doesn't take much to be included in the horror genre And if I had to go as basic as I could with it, it's that a movie designed to generate fear is a horror movie. If it's meant to teach you a a, a scary lesson, uh, whether it be real-life horror or supernatural horror or... You know things like that because I think that's like another reason that people like to differentiate between horrors and thrillers like they'll say it's a thriller if it's a horror movie that involves like real people and no supernatural threat and the threat is human and shit like that that's a lot of times when people are real quick to call something a thriller as well and I still think it doesn't matter if the horrors are real or not. They're still horrors. They're still generating fear. Thrillers, I mean, aren't, don't always have to necessarily be generating fear because like action thrillers are a totally kind of whole different thing. And then it's like, and when people talk about action thrillers, do they call them action thrillers? No, they just call them action movies. But I'd say action movies are more thrillers than horror movies are. I say action movies tend to be more thrilling. They are high energy. They get your blood going. They get you excited. Usually, stuff like that. That's a it's it's thrilling you. That's a thrilling experience, you know, versus a lot of horror movies are slow, but yet they're scaring you and generating fear. And I'd say that for you know the thrillers that horror thrillers can be very slow. And it, it, so I find that really funny. A lot of people will call like a lot of slow burn horrors. They'll call those thrillers too. And that's the opposite. Like how can a slow. I mean yes a slow burn can be thrilling. But it just doesn't make sense. So I don't know. Am I a genre police officer? I don't know. I, like I said I want to include. Everybody. My. My. I'm not trying to gatekeep, or I am gatekeeping in the fact that I I stand by the gate and I'm trying to open the horror gate. I'm not a gatekeeper and I'm trying to keep movies out of the horror genre. I'm trying to get them in. Like, I'm the guy that when you go to the club, I'm the guy talking to the bouncer so the crew can get in. That's me. That's the kind of gatekeeper I am. So, if that makes me a gatekeeper, then fine. I am... But I just wanted to talk to some genre things because I think it was interesting. I did put up a tw- uh, a poll. I put up a poll on Twitter today to um, ask people what genre they would classify this movie as. I gave the options drama, horror, thriller, or other, and it was sixty-seven percent thriller, seventeen percent drama, seventeen percent horror. Um, kind of exactly what I expected that people would. I mean, I guess it's cool because like i said thriller is a horror movie so guess what you got played i got gotcha. you <laughs> because thriller is still a horror movie to me but i was uh, intri- i was interested to see how many people might just consider this a drama um i was kind of because i i've talked to a lot of people that would say that this was a, just a drama i think that's like what it's listed as on like when you look it up like online at genre was it say Wikipedia says black comedy social thriller, which I guess is a way you could describe Get Out as well in that kind of very specific subgenre, but it has thriller. So that means horror to me. So does Parasite belong in the Blade Blunt Cinema Club? Of course it does. And anyways, it does because I say it does. So now that we got that out of the way, let's see, just going down my notes here. Parasite is a foreign film it is a South Korean film and I think it's really cool how many people saw this film you know I think part of it yes is all the awards circuit attention that it got and once people start hearing the name of it and it gets talked about more more people are interested in seeing it regardless of what type of movie that is so I mean it did work out in its favor that way and then it did get picked up by uh, Neon, the Neon Studios. And, it like, Neon is, like, I mean, they're right there. Like, I don't know. I, I want to go, like, movie for movie in an episode. I think I might do Neon, Neon Films versus uh, A24 as far as just, like, film for film. Who puts out, who's the bigger indie film juggernaut right now. But Neon was lucky enough to pick up the American distribution of Parasite, and they did a good job of making it available for VOD, but then also giving it a pretty solid theatrical run, which was, uh, and then it got a second theatrical run once um, it was officially nominated for Academy Awards. So it's really great that it worked its way into getting in front of people's eyes. And But the reason for that is it's not just because like it had a lot of money behind it or had like this like strong like push of it. It was it had strong word of mouth because it connected with so many people in this very universal way that it didn't matter what language it was in. And that was something that I realized. I mean, like it was 20 minutes into the movie and I forgot that I was reading the subtitles I, what I was registering in my ears wasn't even another language. Like, I don't know if other people have that experience when you watch a movie in another language. But as I'm getting more into watching more foreign film over the past couple of years and watching, especially watching foreign films in different languages, like, that's where fucking movies are cool. Like, when you realize that cinema doesn't have a language. That it is one language itself. Like you're. One you're opened up to just. Thousands and so many more movies. That it's like overwhelming. That I'm like oh my god there's so many foreign movies. I need to watch but at the same time. It is easier to watch movies. In English and you know. You do have that connection to them. Unless you are like truly bilingual. And so because like for a little bit if I did watch a, a foreign film it was usually it had to be in French because I did take a few years of French back in high school can't speak it worth a damn really anymore besides a few words but I can't understand it fairly well so it's like I wasn't having to focus as much on the subtitles but then with this one with Parasite it didn't matter like because the dialogue was so distinct and crisp in what it was delivering and the actors and the way, the way that the actors like delivered the lines. Like I, I was rewatching it before recording and like kind of doing stuff. Even if I wasn't watching, I knew what was going on one. Cause I've seen this movie quite a few times now. I knew what was going on, but just because I wreck it, I would, I'm starting to like recognize like the Korean phrases or, and things like that. And and just feeling it of what they're saying. So, like, the way that the actors delivered everything worked so well. But then so did the, just, it was written so well. But the visual storytelling is, I think, Parasite's biggest, biggest plus as a film. Because the visual storytelling is so good that, like I said, you don't really need to like study the subtitles you don't need to you really don't need to pay attention to them at all if you don't want to like I mean I could turn the subtitles off completely and just watch it and I mean I can't say if it would have impacted my first viewing if I watched it this way but I can comfortably say it now that watching it without subtitles would be totally fine I know exactly what was being said and what was going on because it's just it just works that good And that's super fucking cool. Um, uh, like I said, like Simba doesn't have a language; it's its own language, and that's that's really cool. Another thing that I love about Parasite, and this is all still before even getting into the actual movie, like because there's just there's so many things to talk about, and I just love it. The title. So I'm I'm critical of movie titles. I know they don't matter to a lot of people. Or they don't matter like they used to, I don't think. Um, Social media and the way that marketing has changed has changed the way that people title their films because people aren't titling it with the movie in mind anymore. I mean, they are. It's with the movie in mind. But people are trying to present the title in just the most... This is the easiest way to tell people what the movie is about. And that's annoying, and people do that because it's lazy, and they just want people to know what the movie is about because they want people to see it. They want as many people to see this movie as possible. They want to keep the title length as short as possible to as little words as possible because it's easier to tweet about it and saves you characters if the movie only has the blank or just one word. It's, you know... So this go like it really. So social media and marketing really has changed the way that uh, movies are titled. And I'm like, I get so annoyed by it. Like as I don't know if it's just the artist in me, because I love like whenever I have like a photography series or just a photo itself or a short film. One of my favorite parts is naming it. One of my favorite parts of trying to figure out this podcast was trying to figure out the name. I, I love naming things. And so titles are important to me, and I hate the laziness of everything. It's just the blank, the blank, or just one word. Um, you know, I could, I wish I would have made a list, and I have a whole rant about Halloween, but I'm sure we'll get to that in a different episode. But it's just, it's just annoying and lazy. I like um, films that have interesting titles, like The Killing of a Sacred Deer. What? What is that movie about? It doesn't tell you what the movie's about. Unlike what every other title is doing. It makes you wonder. It makes you guess. It forms intrigue. But then it does have. But the killing of sacred deer. Is important to the themes. And the story of that film. It makes sense. Um, a A girl walks home alone at night. It makes sense. In the context of the film. And that could be about anything. Do you know that that's a vampire movie? Or that it's an Iranian black and white vampire movie at that? No but you're intrigued and it's interesting and it's vague, but it, it works. So I like, I mean, I I like mouthful titles, I guess, if it's justified. And, but so it, it does annoy me sometimes. And then Parasite comes along. And like I said earlier, a lot of people heard the title Parasite and you ask them, Hey, have you seen Parasite? No, what's that movie about? is it a sci-fi movie is it an a-, a sci-fi alien movie about alien parasites and then you're like no it's not about that literally at all but the title makes sense because it's a question one yeah what what is the parasite in this movie who is or more specifically who is the parasite in this movie it, it so like i said it doesn't just tell you what the movie is about it it creates questions already and I think that's a and it's a big um, theme of the movie, is you know the the movie is built upon metaphors upon metaphors upon metaphors upon metaphors. We know this, and um, with parasite being the big biggest one of them all, a parasite, someone uh, an organism that lives off of another organism, usually at the detriment of that organism. Um, it's not just that they feed on them; it's that they feed off them and kill them you know usually that a parasite's bad and the film asks the question who is the true parasite here is it the kim family who infiltrate the a rich family and they lie and manipulate and they do horrible things to just get in and pass off as you know a passing uh, higher class people, you know, they want the money and they want it the quickest way possible. So is it the Kim family? Or is it the Park family? The Park family, a rich family that hires people to do the things that they could do, but just don't because they're rich and they can pay for other people to do it. And so are they the parasites that leech off of these workers that do the things for them that they don't want to do? killing them you know they're breaking their backs working hard while you're reaping the benefits just doing nothing so who is the true parasite here so let's go ahead and get into this fucking movie are you with me are you guys with me I hope you're with me it's all worth it so this movie is built upon metaphors, upon metaphors, upon metaphors, as I just said. And the one of the first ones at the very beginning of the movie is, and out the gate, when I refer to characters, because I'm going to pronounce most of their names wrong, most likely, it is going to be Mama and Papa, Kim or Park, we're going to say Kevin and Jessica, and then we got Dahai and Song, just because I can't think of a shorter nomenclature for them, and their their names are easy to say. So that's the way we're going to fucking label everybody. Sorry, I it might be insensitive, but it's just going to save time. So, at the beginning of the movie, we got Papa Kim. He kills a stink bug on the table at the beginning, and he's so angry at it. Ew, disgusting stink bug. And not only are stink bugs, you know, they're bugs, they're insects, not people's favorite thing in the world, and but the stink part. Smell is obviously a very big part of this film and an identifier of the Kim family. They're poor. They stink, apparently. Um, They live literally in a sub-apartment, like, below. So, I mean, they're, like, already, elevation-wise, low. Like, the poor part of South Korea is low. And then the Kim, or the Park family, they live up high, up top. And, um... So, yeah, so the Kim family, they smell. They're poor. They probably have hand-me-down clothes. They have the same clothes. Um, You know, who knows how much they wash them. Things like that. And that's just a metaphor that it's interesting that, you know, though the Kim family are bugs, they don't look at themselves as such. And they look down upon other quote-unquote bugs. That we'll figure out a little bit later. They judge the drunk man that's in the rain in their uh in their alleyway they judge a guy that's you know drunkenly and like going crazy but yet who are they they're folding pizza boxes and stuff like that you know there's and there's parallels between the Kim and Park family obviously between being poor and rich um at the very beginning of the film as well while they're their the family is folding pizza boxes to make extra money and they see that the alleyway is getting fumigated and that they left their <laughs> windows open And they go, oh, no, the fumigation, I didn't know they're still doing that. Should I close the windows? And Papa Kim goes, no, keep the window open so we can get fumigated for free. So this little scene introduces you to the way that the Kim family thinks. Um, You know, they want nice things. They want money. They don't want to be poor, but they don't want to... I mean, I guess it's assumed that they don't want to work for it because everything is a con for them um, instead of just strict, hard work. Everything is a con. So they want to take shortcuts into things. So Papa Kim literally saying, like, oh, no, we're getting free fumigation just by leaving it open is a prime example of the way that the the Kims think. And, you know... um. And later on, there's more bug metaphors as well. They'll compare; they compare themselves to roaches, and things like that. But another metaphor, like I, I mentioned just a bit ago, is like the elevation, the locations of these two families, in and it illustrates, you know, the class system. Like you know, the poor are low, the rich are high. Um, the Kim family lives, like I said, in a sub apartment. They are so. They're lower than low is what the movie is trying to say, while the Park family lives up top, and and you notice this disparity in the walk that you know Kevin takes from their house and going to the Park house um, whenever he's going to work. And at first, it doesn't seem that long, but then later on, in the uh, storm scene, you really see the scope of how. Um, of the of the difference or how far that they live and like the the magnitude and the scope of like the differences of how and where they live. The stairs um you know within the Park family house are a big theme as well as um Kevin just to get into their house you have to go up a couple side of stairs when you get in the house initially entering the house is stairs And then within the house, there are stairs revealing different layers within the house. Stairs are a very important part of this film as well. What is something that I love about Parasite other than the metaphors and, um, you know, obviously, like I said, I love the geography um, importance of the film, which I'll also throw out that they built that park house for the film because it was such an important uh, piece of the film, and I'd say about what sixty-five percent of the film, seventy percent of the film takes place here as well. So it makes sense to not shoot it on a soundstage. Um, they were able to shoot on location in a house that they built, which is freaking the house is obviously it's immaculate. I mean, it's it's your postmodern family dream, and um, it's a it's a really cool house. So the geography and set was very important and I like that because that shows that everything is important to Bong Joon-ho not just the screenplay not not just the themes or the storytelling like everything is important and but the other thing that I love about this film I feel like I mentioned it oh I I talk about it a lot again on the Sif Pop podcast make sure you check it this episode out we were reviewing *The Bloods which is a two hour and 35 minute film that could have been shortened a lot in my opinion. And my thing with long movies, and this movie isn't too long. It's about two hours and fifteen minutes. Um minus the credits. It's so I mean that's not a terribly long film, but like if you're gonna have a longer film, pacing becomes very important because it's like, okay, is everything necessary to the film is um like does this need it or could this be something that's cut? And not only that, like, not just the length as well, but the energy. Like, how, what's the energy of this film? Like, does it chug along? Um, like, is it a slow burn? Is it not? And Parasite has impeccable pacing, like, on both aspects of that. The screenplay, like I said, it the dialogue is written very naturally, it's never too wordy, but it never says more than it needs to, it says enough. To get the job done and to progress, but to also still be funny and witty as well. So, and just the way that the film escalates from the the Kim family, from uh, Kevin getting from Kevin getting hired, and then it's like, okay, he gets hired a couple lessons in, and then he brings in um, Jessica. A few and then Jessica, she's ready to plant the seed for the next infiltration after the first fucking lesson she already uh plants the seed in the driver they get the driver out and then so they infiltrate this family and all four of them have their jobs within the park family house at by by like the 40 minute mark i think it's like it's like 40 or 45 minutes in and they're already like fully infiltrated like this is after um you know, I call it, I call them set pieces, and there's, there's a few main set pieces, and, um, the montage scene is easily my favorite of the, of the set pieces in this film, though they're all great, they're master classes in filmmaking, and, um, but to wrap up while saying about the pacing, the energy also, just, like, throughout this film, it never loses this kinetic energy that it has, but it's not, like, frantic, though, either, because, this movie isn't like, you know, isn't outlandish or over the top either, but it has this just consistent kinetic energy. It's like, it's a, it's a marathon. Like it really is. It's, it's a, it's a good pace, but it's not trying to do too much either. It's really great. But so, like I said, we as we get into the montages of these, of this movie and or not montages, the set pieces, but the montage that I keep saying is the scene where we see um, the family planning on how to extract the housekeeper out of the park family. She's been working for the family longest. I mean, she was there in the house even before the park family moved in. So, I mean, they were like, it's going to take tough. We're going to have to do a lot more preparation. And boy, do they. I mean... This is just filmmaking 101, this 10-minute sequence of you have these sharply, like, hilarious written dialogue and the way that it's written because they're also doing it at two different times as well. And you're seeing the Kim family prepare as you're watching them execute the plan as well. Um, so it's already dynamic in that aspect. And then, yeah, like, so it's like you're seeing the rehearsals and it's so funny, like, whenever... Uh, papa kim is doing too much and kevin's having to coach him down and being like dad dad you're doing too much your energy's up here you need to bring it down he's like telling them and they had what the parks family responses were going to be to their rehearsed dialogue because um the park family is meant to be shown as like really simple you know so they know them so well at this point they already know what's going to be said and they plan everything to the t with figuring out that the housekeeper was allergic to the peaches and um you know and poisoning her with the peaches discreetly by just using the fuzz just all the things that go into it is just and then and then the tuberculosis thing I thought was going to be a stretch like it's like there was probably an easier an excuse to get her out but they come up with tuberculosis and And so the way that they do it with Papa Kib taking the selfie at the hospital is super funny just because it's really, I don't know. It was just like, it's a very just like odd thing to do. That's a a stretch, but it was still funny. And then just as everything is coming together and like everybody, all the, the the plan is coming together. And then uh, Jessica says, the the cherry on top if you get the chance so this was just like you know the extra like they 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 were so confident in their plan but they said if you get this this is going to seal it to put hot sauce on a napkin in the trash to like sell the tuberculosis because i mean it was already kind of hard enough to sell it and it's also funny because like they chose tuberculosis knowing that uh, mama mama park was gonna question it, like do people even get it? But they're so simple and stupid that they're just gonna roll with it anyways. That's super funny. And just the way that uh that Papa Kim shout out to uh Song Kang Ho, the actor who portrays Papa Kim, he is a mainstay of Bong Jun ho in a lot of his films. I mean, the way that he sold this scene and he puts the, he puts the hot sauce in the trash and he turns around and holds the napkin up and they zoom and the face he is making, like this is why I wish I was doing the, the video podcast right now. The face he was making kills me. I remember when I was watching it in theaters and this montage was going on and just watching it unfold. And I was just like, this is genius. And then just like his face when he holds that napkin up, I mean, I audibly just like I laugh so hard and it gets me every time. Uh, I I don't know why that gif, no, GIF. it's so funny because you don't question the pronunciation of it until you say it out loud because I feel like everybody just texts it all the time you know it's more of an online thing nobody really talks about GIFs or GIFs but why is that not like the most used GIF of 2019 like why has that not become a meme yet I'm gonna make it a meme cause it needs to be a meme it's so fucking funny ah uh, shout out to Song Kang Ho who who is a fucking powerhouse in this movie he really is but that montage this 10 minute montage that's when you're like okay this family is not fucking around Like, they are in, they have literally replaced everybody, they are not fucking around. But then, going back to the pacing, you look at the time code and you're like, okay, we're about 40, 45 minutes in, where is this movie going to go? Because, like, that could be, I mean, literally just them having to infiltrate the house can already be a movie in itself and provide enough shenanigans to, to fill out the runtime of a movie. But Parasite has so much more than that in store for you. Like I said, a, a normal director would have just made the movie of them infiltrating the house, taking all their jobs, and they would have probably made it more comedic, including like more shenanigans of this lower class family living it up as living it up as a higher class family, and it and it still could have had the same similar message. And it would have made it would have been a fine movie, you know, whatever. Or that sounds even more the premise of a comic, of a blockbuster comedy movie that doesn't exist anymore because they don't really make blockbuster comedies anymore. But Bong Joon Ho is fucking different, okay? This motherfucker is different. He told just such a like the way that it unfolds, you know, act by act. So, it's like the second act, the whole family is in, right? Everything seems good. They're all making money. They're eating better. They're hanging out at the house. Everything just seems fucking peachy keen. And, of course, it is not peachy keen at all. because So, as the Park family, they go out of town for their little camping trip for, um, uh, for Dasong. So they're they're lounging it up, they're getting drunk, they're eating, they're all just chilling. They were chilling in the front yard, like it's a and it's a fun moment because it's so interesting that Parasite is also like the family movie of the year. It's not only a great thriller; it's a damn good family movie. The Kim family, flaws and all, are are a genuinely wonderful family. They all care for each other, they love each other, they have each other's back no matter fucking what. And then this scene right here of them, you know, a, a brief glimpse of what they could, what their happiness would look like, what they would look like as a family, had they had the opportunities or been a part of the high class or been rich, you know, what what their life would have looked like, you know, in that aspect. So it's it's a it's a good scene, but of course that's where shit is gonna shift because who's back at the at the door? It's fucking. The housekeeper, um, I think her, was it Moon Moonwat? See, that's why I don't even want to try to pronounce stuff. I'm all, I'm gonna ruin it. I'll give it I'll give it like one good try. Um, Moonwang, Moon Moonwang, the housekeeper. She's back. She's back. She's knocking on the window. She looks crazy as I'll Get out. Because it's storming out. and So she's wet and her face is all big from the allergic reactions from the peach. And so she's back. We're like, oh shit, why is she back? Is she going to try to blackmail him? Like, what's going on? She says she has some shit that she left behind. Just let her in. Just please let her in. And they let her in, you know. And she says she has to go get some stuff or whatever. Which is not the case. What we find out, and this is where the movie shifts. And this is where it officially becomes, you know, a thriller, more in the horror category. Because up to this point, it's been just a comedy. It's been really funny and like kind of like a, oh, yeah, family hijinks, switcherooskies and shit. This is where the movie's tone gets a little bit darker as the movie descends deeper. Literally, we go inside the house. And the housekeeper goes um, into the basement, but then pushes the shelf aside to a door that goes to another basement, (laughs) a second basement. And fucking she goes all the way down in there. And we find out that she's been stashing her husband in the, the basement basement. She's been stashing her husband because he's been hiding from loan sharks. He has been living down there for years underneath the family. And she's been sneaking in food for years. And because, you know, she's worried if he's out and about that he's loan sharks are going to kill him. Are loan sharks that serious in South Korea? Like, I don't know. I didn't do my research or anything. Um, but damn, like, I mean, if if like shit like that is that serious, like, I would be done for. Like, you know, as I fucking sit there and press decline on the student loan people calling me and shit. Like, shit, I'm not living out in a basement because of that. Fucking, I don't know. But that's crazy. So, the movie, now, it's like, what the fuck is going on? So, now, this movie has changed completely. It's recontextualized in in, in the matter of one scene. Now, this set piece is a two-parter. Because we make the discovery. Um, the housekeeper is trying to um, work with fucking Mama Kim and is trying to. Um, like you know. Just be like hey. If I, if I pay you. Will you just take food and water down. A couple times a week. Whatever. Or just once a week she even says. And I'll pay you. Blah blah blah. Just help me out. And she's trying to connect with them. Because they're on the fucking same. On the same level right. But the Kim family. They don't think that they are. As low as they are. They think that they're still above her somehow. And. One of my nitpicks about this movie, I only have a few, is Mama Kim is my least favorite character of the film. Um, Her character, like, her character traits and background and stuff don't really add much to the film. She doesn't really add much to the Kim family, because, like, really, Papa Kim and the kids are the schemers and everything. And she just kind of fucking gets put in last and everything. In the most important position, though, I don't know. And she's just, she's really mean, you know and I don't know she has a few good like memorable lines um especially like one of the most memorable lines was if uh when they're talking about the Park family being nice and she goes um you know they're nice because she's rich if I was if I had all this money I'd be this nice too um she has a a fun little scene but that's about the only good scene with the mom I'm not really a big fan of Mama Kim so she's mean to the housekeeper, denies her, and then that's when the rest of the Kim family is discovered. So then Power Switch, the housekeeper and her husband go up to the top and they hold the Kim family hostage, threatening to expose them. And then of course the Kim family regains the upper hand. And so that's so that's part two of this set piece. Is now the Kim family turns the tides back around. And they uh, lock the husband and the housekeeper. Um, They, like, tie him up and leave him in the basement. The housekeeper is knocked out. um, And fucking uh, Jessica fucking poured a bunch of peaches on her face. So she's fucked up. I mean, it goes south really bad. And so they finally get them away, you know. And then the parks call and say they're on their way home, of course. They're eight minutes away. Why wouldn't they be? They want dinner, they're on their way home, so the Kim family has to clean the entire house, have dinner ready, and figure out what to do with the housekeeper and her husband. All this changes in, a, in one scene, or, I mean, a collection of scenes, and like I said, that was a two-part set piece, but, like, and this is almost exactly at the halfway, more, uh, ha- halfway point of the film. And again, you're like, where is this movie going? Like, how far is this family going to go? Throughout the movie, I was continuously trying, like the first time I saw it, trying to guess where this movie was going, um, how the family was going to get out of the situation, what was going to be the results, how far were they going to go. And that's just fucking how you write a movie, you know, and how you direct a movie. I mean... It's just everything is laid out right in front of you through through the dialogue, you know, through the through the storytelling, like some of the dialogue, some of these foreshadowing lines, like because you don't know what's going on once they go into the second basement. You are like so in shock. However, then you watch it the movie again and you pick up on the fucking clues, and that's when this movie gets even better. Like when fucking Mama Park says, Uh, Talking about the housekeeper, at one point she goes, "Oh, if you have any questions, ask the housekeeper. She knows this house better than me." What? What? Bong, bong! You just fucking told us that in our face. Like that's hilarious. Um, what's a what's another one? Um, again, talking about the housekeeper. Sometimes she acts like she owns the house. That's what the Kim family say because they don't know about her husband in the fucking uh basement fucking, um, the Papa Park talking to <laughs> Mr. Kim says, um, oh yeah, she's a great housekeeper, had her for years, we love her, um, if I had any complaints, it was that she eats enough for two. Oh, like, he'd said it so many times to us, and we'd, just didn't even fucking realize it because we were just as oblivious as the parks family the way that this movie is written i just can't get over it it's so good um and then fucking later as the the whole family's infiltrated you know and it literally takes the park family so long to figure shit out the only kid that figures it out is the youngest fucking um dasong he fucking um at one point says they all smell the same. Jessica too, he had them figured out from the get go. No one else fucking had them panned. So now the Kim family is trying to figure out what to do with them. And as as the Park family returns and the house, uh, Mama Mama Kim has to stay to cook dinner. The rest of the family has to retreat back to their home in the midst of a gigantic thunderstorm and flood this is yet another part of the set piece and this scene right here I remember watching it in theaters I had tears in my eyes like sometimes there are movies that I love and that either just like so visually striking or the scene is so powerful I mean I'm a I'm an easy crier not gonna lie I mean especially the fact that I can cry during horror movies cracks me up But sometimes it's not because of the emotion of the scene. I mean, the emotion of the scene was great and everything was so intense. This is the biggest scene of the film. And, but also like, I was just so in awe of the filmmaking of, like I said, this scene as they're retreating in the storm back to their place, you really see how far they live, how far they have to go and they just go down lower and lower. And what does that mean? Of course, up top, it just seems like a nice rain. And we see this by the Park family as they're enjoying their dinner. Uh, Dasong wants to go camp out in the yard, so they watch them in the living room. So it's all nice. They're in the living room. They're getting sexy together um, as it's raining outside. it's just, it's all nice, you know? And it's going to make the weather so great tomorrow. (laughs) While the Kim family is retreating, they're going down, which means so is all the water so, by the time they get to their sub-apartment, their whole alley is flooded. And so, they're trying to get into their house. They realize they left the window open because of the fumigation earlier. Oh, my God! <laughs> like, as I'm making realizations, God, this movie's so good. They left the fucking window open, so their apartment floods. And it's just sewage and rain. Guys, it's a literal shit storm. Who Bong Joon Ho, you fucking genius! I see you. I mean, I know his name is Bong, but I mean, come on, that's some stoner shit right here. he goes, fucking lights his joint. He goes, he goes. If fucking takes a hit or he takes a fucking bog hit, he goes. I'm a fucking put a shit storm in this movie, guys. But it's gonna win an Oscar. Ah, so good. And the film and, and the scene is just, it's so gross because the water looks disgusting. Everything is flooded. The toilet is literally fucking um, shooting shit out of it. I mean, it's such a just like, you feel so bad and disgusting Um, for for the family. And it's just, it's an incredible sequence. It's so good. So, so good um And this is the height of the film. And though, I mean, I I, I won't say this is a nitpick because the ending is great, but this definitely is the high point of the film After that, the Kim family is just trying to figure out what they're gonna do because now they got planned for a birthday party after the flood. So they stink and they add a shelter and everything. And uh, the scene in the shelter is a fucking uh, a really great scene. And uh, Papa Kim and Kevin are talking to each other. And Kevin's the only one that's really had a conscience about all of this, even though he started it. He's the only one, the Kim family, that has somewhat of a conscience. I don't know if it's because he actually likes uh, Dahai and is actually in love with her or what. Or if he's just, like I said, he just has a conscience. And he's reflecting and he's, feels like it's his fault and everything. And this is, again, it's the family movie of the year, because Papa Kim steps up and he said, yeah, you may have started it, this may have been your idea, you guys in this situation, blah, 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 but it doesn't matter, because it's not your issue, it's my issue, it's our issue as a family, but as the man of the family, of the household, this is my issue, and he, you know, sticks to his guns that he's gonna be the one that gets him out of it, and... He kinda doubles down on their values, even though they're in this like terrible situation. But he says, if you make a plan, li- if you make a plan, life never turns out how it should. And and at one other point he said the best plan is no plan at all. And like, bruh, that's some powerful shit, Papa Kim. And I don't know, it just it, it really makes you think like, you know, what about you and your current situation, you know, and it it questions the morality of what you would do to survive, um, I talked about this in episode one, I love movies about ambition, and this kind of of that same vein, but this is about survival, this isn't even ambition, um, it's, it's about survival, and it's, you know, it, you, you just don't know, you know, how you would, what you would do and how you would think because you're not in that situation. So great scene in the shelter. And then the birthday party, the one of like one of the more final scenes of the film, Um, the climax, I suppose, is um, they have a they have a birthday party for Da and they invite everybody and everything. Papa Kim smells worse than usual. So he's kind of getting caught on to And he is fed up with Papa Park shitting on the way that they smell. Like, he's always shitting on the way they smell. And he absolutely hates it. And he grows this disdain for Papa Park. And so what eventually happens is um, after the housekeeper's husband gets out of the sub-basement, fucking smashes Kevin's head in, he's gonna be in a coma and uh, fucking brain damage later but he's not dead and i thought he was dead but he gets his head smashed and then the housekeeper's husband grabs a knife he goes to kill fucking the sister he kills the sister fucking and then uh papa park kills him or was it mama park one of them stabs him in the side the housekeeper's husband i forget who stabs him or no it was it was mama kim stabs him and then Papa Kim stabs Papa Park because Papa Park is so disgusted that he can't grab the keys. Like and fucking Papa Kim snaps. He gets banished to the basement. Jessica is dead, unfortunately. A shout out to Park So Or Park So Dom. Park so Park so damn. I don't know. I say Park So damn because ooh, I'm in love with her. She's gorgeous. I think she gives the best performance behind papa kim papa kim is the powerhouse performance in this and he eventually i guess is the protagonist you think it's kevin but i think it's actually papa kim but park Sodom is phenomenal um she's just she has this coolness to her she's sexy um she's fucking interesting she's funny um and she's got the most skills Out of anybody in the Kim family, the the most um, she has the most. They they talk about she has the most potential out of all of them to actually be great. Because Kevin, um, he's a hard worker, I guess, but doesn't really have any skills or anything. By the end of the movie, he's looking for his dad. They are communicating versus Morse code, and he dreams about buying the house and freeing his dad. Um, but which is probably a reality that will never happen, unfortunately. Crazy movie, man like like by the end of it i just i came out i was so thoroughly impressed i was so happy i had such a good time watching it i saw it at the vista theater my favorite theater in los angeles it's an old style theater i forget what year it's been around since um it's only one screen i've seen uh, i saw mandy there which was dope i saw joker there which was dope um all the, I, I love seeing movies at this theater, I saw a fucking, uh, what did I see, I saw, like, a 35 millimeter showing of something, ah, I forget, but, but, and I saw a parasite here, and man, it was just so fucking good, Uh ah um i absolutely loved it and i like couldn't think of any flaws like it was i was like sitting there and i was like man this is as close to perfect as i can think of i can't think of anything that i don't love or that didn't work that wasn't completely necessary i do have a few nitpicks like i said uh, mama kim the way she was written her performance uh, just her whole character in general i thought she was like kind of the weakest of any of the families like any family member she was the weakest. Um, there's a few stretches of like how stupid the Park family really is. Like Kevin's first tutoring session makes zero sense and is weird and has nothing to do with him tutoring her. He's also like, I I don't know, they're doing problems, but he's teaching her English. I don't know. Uh, it was kind of weird, but my biggest gripe with the film is the score. I don't love it uh scores are really important to me i think they are the backbone of a film a score can make or break a film it also i mean i guess a and the thing is the score is not bad so like i said it can make or break film but it doesn't break the film because the thing with the score is it's just average like it's kind of it has a few good tracks in there like really just the um the score during the flood scene is really good and that's the only memorable one i can think of but that's the thing with the whole score it's just not memorable it's there and it fills space when it needs to cuz it's also not very present which is fine cuz i was engrossed in the movie regardless and like this is something i didn't notice until like the second or third time that i watched it that i go oh the score for that is all right it's actually like kind of generic at times the end credits theme sounds really close to the office Which I don't like. Because I don't like that show. And I think the theme song for that show is whack. So that's like my biggest gripe. But that's something stupid to gripe about. Like I said it also just didn't break the film. Because it's not present enough. It wasn't like important to the film. It wasn't like ingrained into it. Or like serve purpose. Like serve narrative or emotional purpose really. It was there to be a score. I don't know if that is like you know more common in Korean film that they don't focus on it enough, I just haven't watched enough Korean films, so I don't know if that's a stylistic choice by like Bong Joon Ho. Um, I've only seen a handful of his films. I've only seen this and Snowpiercer so far. Um, I still have to like watch like Okja and The Host, of course, and um, a few of his other movies that I've read the synopsis of that sound totally awesome. I wish I would have watched a few more before I start talking about this movie, but at the same time, I like to just focus on this movie instead of uh, like comparing it to his other films. Cause I already, but then I already had that experience with Snowpiercer Cause everybody loves Snowpiercer and hyped it up when it was like, you know, kind of like an under a uh, little hidden gem a few years ago. And then people started watching Snowpiercer Like when Oakstra came out and everybody talked about it. And I never watched it cause people hyped it up and, I was just either never in the mood, I didn't think, or I didn't know the type of movie it was. I watched it, absolutely loved it. Fantastic movie, one of Chris Evans' best performances. Uh, Shout out to Song Kang Ho, also helping this movie, killing it. Um, But I I got done, and I was like, man, that was really good, but it wasn't as good as Parasite, (laughs) which is unfortunate. So now I'm like, I don't know, am I going to go back and not enjoy more of his films? But a lot of people seem to like The Host more than Parasite, so... Who knows? But as far as Parasite goes, it was far and away my favorite movie of 2019. 2019 was a pretty solid year. I, I uh, enjoyed a lot of movies that year. But it's one of the best of the decade, I think. I'm really glad it won for Best Picture. That never happens. Like My favorite movie of the year has never won uh, Best Picture. Or even come close, usually, because I usually like weirder movies. But why did this movie appeal to everyone so much, even though it is kind of strange? Like, some people don't love the tone because it almost feels like a stage play, which, fucking, I hope there's some high schools out there or some fucking colleges that are trying to adapt Parasite into a stage show because they totally should. There should be a Broadway show. I don't know if there was an announcement already. I know that they're talking about a Parasite series but I think Parasite would make a dank-ass fucking Broadway show and make a really good stage show. It'd be super simple to make the sets. It'd be a fun ensemble piece. Oh, man, Parasite would rip in theaters. Maybe that's what I need to do. I've always thought about like doing a stage production, and maybe this is mine. What if I do Parasite, the musical parody? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get to writing, y'all. I think you guys might. What if I make this in like a year, and then I tell everybody to go back and listen to this episode of the podcast for fucking once I do? Parasite, the musical parody. The 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 musical par parasite. I don't know. I was gonna try and combine those words, but they're already too similar. Ah, that would fucking rip. I love this movie a lot. (laughs) Like. And I say it every time I watch it on, like, while I'm watching it and I tweet about it. This is the fourth time I've watched it. Um, I watched it, like, a week and a half ago with my boo. She absolutely loved it. Uh, Like, finally getting her to watch it. Like, this movie, it's, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. I think that's all I have to say about Parasite. I think I got it all out of my system. I've had this pent up. Um, I have lots of notes of movies on my phone. I like to take notes on movies, like, even before I was doing the podcast, and, um, and, and it wasn't even, like, for taking notes for, like, writing anything or videos. I, I like to just take notes just for fun. Um, but I think when I watched this movie and was taking notes about it, that kind of was part of the inspiration for starting this podcast. So, because I have a shit ton of notes for this, so... Um, I got it all off my chest um, I've had a lot of thoughts about this movie for a long time that I've been telling people about it since I've seen it like literally anybody at the bar that would listen while I was working uh, I would get distracted if I hear it fucking in conversation no matter who's talking about it I always insert myself I could I love talking about this movie so thank you for listening if you made it this far episode a little bit longer than I was anticipating but like I said I'm trying to keep them under 90 minutes and we are gonna be right around that mark so let's go ahead and close out the show because harley has to uh he wants to play and i gotta pee so last few things one subscribe um on spotify or itunes or wherever else you do your podcasting make sure you are subscribing so the episodes are already in your feed and ready to go and if you are um listening on itunes or apple podcasts whichever one Please write a five star review, um, not because I need it for my ego, but because I want the show to get on the charts or like get on the, you know, discovered or whatever, just because I want more people to listen to the show. Please write a nice review if you'd like. Um, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, next up uh, and also uh, tweet about the show as well i'm not making a separate twitter account so just use the hashtag bloody blunt cinema club it's the only thing that comes up for that hashtag because that's why i made this podcast name very very specific so hashtag bloody blunt cinema club you'll figure out the movies that i'm watching uh what episodes are coming up next what movies are gonna be on those episodes all that jazz so and when you're watching the show uh Use the hashtag Bloody Blunt Cinema Club if you're listening so other people can um, find out about the show. Next up, Patreon. Didn't uh, mention it in the last episode, and it's not super important yet because we're still getting shit going. But um, Patreon, if you want to get some bonus content here pretty soon, I would love to do um, bonus Patreon episodes. I just uh, can't do it yet because I don't have any patrons. So if you want to uh, get some bonus content, Please consider uh, donating some movie. Uh, uh, this has been long. I'm getting a little cottonmouthed, but I'm not fucking. I'm not editing it out because I'm fucking real, guys. This is what you get. I'm real. <laughs> I'm a real boy. I don't know where this is going. I'm going crazy. Um, Patreon. Right back on track. Just uh, consider donating a few bucks, and if you uh, support the show, I can do some bonus content for you, and there's some other perks as well. Check out the Patreon. And lastly, future episodes. So, next episode, we are kicking off the first franchise of the bloody blunt cinema club it is one of my favorite franchises i think it's one of the most consistent across the horror genre especially across the slashers too it's one of few uh franchises that's in its original continuity still it's about to debut a tv show as well we are covering and it's perfect i wish i would have started just a week earlier for pride month because it is perfect for pride month we are covering the child's play chucky franchise Um, This will be a three-part thing. I will be covering across three episodes. Um, First episode, we'll be covering Child's Play 1 through 3. Second episode, we'll be covering Bride and Seed of Chucky, hopefully with a special guest. And then lastly, we will be covering um, Curse and Cult of Chucky. I'll talk a little bit about the remake, but fuck that movie. And then um, if we get some news about the TV show in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about the TV show as well. But that's what we're covering. First franchise, super excited. And then, so go ahead and start catching up on the Child's Play franchise right now. Um, We are going to be covering it over a three-week span. Actually, possibly two weeks because it depends on this um, guest situation. So we might cover it in two weeks. We'll see. But um, Child's Play coming up. Um, I do have one uh, guest confirmed for sure um, for next month, so really excited about that. But uh, yeah, so make sure you are following me on social media to keep up with the podcast at Bloody Blunts with three O's um, on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube at Bloody Blunts because um, next week we should have video episodes as well. So subscribe to all the things, follow me, stalk me, all that jazz, but I'm fucking, I'm fucking done, y'all. Peace out. Stay lifted.